So there's a movie that came out about 25 years ago that I've never seen. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty far behind like the curve when it comes to pop culture and being on top of like media and movies that you're supposed to see. Like really, this movie came out 25 years ago, so really far behind the curve there. Um, but some of y'all may have seen it. It's called uh, Groundhog Day. Anybody with Bill Murray? Do y'all like it? What's like the... All right, I am hearing like, I'm hearing extremes here. So here's, here's why I bring that movie up. I'm thinking about my sermon this week, and um, this movie comes to mind, even though I've never seen it. Like, even if you've never seen it, you, if you've heard of it, you probably have some, like, idea of the general concept. And the concept is, uh, Bill Murray is, I read about it on Wikipedia before this time. I've never seen the movie, just to prepare. Uh, Bill Murray is a weatherman, and he's sent to um, kind of report on the groundhog on Groundhog's Day. And he gets stuck in this loop where the same day happens over and over and over. Like he wakes up and it's the same day again. And he's just living in this monotonous, tedious loop. And so I was thinking about that and I'm like, oh, I think that could relate to what we're talking about this morning. Because what we see is um, like Bill Murray in the movie isn't attracted to, in fact, he's repulsed by like, the monotony that he experiences as he lives this day over and over and over. And then he's, he's wondering, does, does anything even matter anymore, right? Like if this is all there is, does anything even matter? I watched the trailer and I saw like he's um, driving cars off of cliffs and just like eating terrible things for his body because the message is if this is all there is, if it's just this same thing, these same rhythms happening over and over, if I'm just stuck in this boring, draining, monotonous loop, then what's, what's even the point? And so in order to prepare, I was thinking maybe I should watch the movie. Like, you know, it could... It could help me prepare for the sermon. And so I mentioned to my wife, Laura, I'm like, hey, I've never seen this movie and want to watch it. And she's like, no, I hate that movie. <laughs> so that's the, side of, that's the side that she's on. And she said, she said, it's just the same thing over and over and over, which illustrates my point exactly. So, um, so there's something in us. There's something in us. And we've talked about this before. There's something in us that just aches for more in the midst of the mundane in the midst of the ordinary, in the midst of the monotonous. And so about a year and a half ago, I went through a sort of dark night of the soul. And as I walked through that period in my life, I began to wade into some waters that were new for me. But what I discovered is they're not new streams. They're not new waters. They're really ancient streams, ancient waters that Christians throughout the centuries have been wading into and swimming in and finding a bunch of life and refreshment and nourishment. So I began wading into these waters and I found some significant shifts in my own heart and in my life. And what I'm seeing is this awareness of God's presence throughout my day that I wasn't aware of before, that I had previously missed. And we know like God is there, of course, but it's me who's not aware that he's there in the midst of my everyday, in the midst of these minute and unimportant details. And so I've, I've grown aware, man, God is with me and I've experienced so much more life and fullness. That's definitely not the case all the time. Like I want to be honest with y'all, it's still, it's still pretty fleeting. There's still these just monotonous rituals that I have to go through in my day. The one that's really like 
getting at me right now. I don't know if any, any of the parents who have young toddlers can relate to this, but man, bedtime in the summer is a challenge. Is anybody with me? Like I'm putting Graham to bed at eight o'clock and it's still super bright outside and he's convinced that it's still morning. And so the, the bedtime routine takes a long time and we have to read lots of stories and it's convicting because I see how OCD he is and it's like looking into a mirror. If you do anything out of order, if you do anything out of order, whew, you're, you're in trouble. So just to be honest, like this isn't my posture all of the time, but it's a posture that I'm learning more and more. And it's been so rich and good in my life. And so today we're starting this new sermon series called A Liturgical Life. And this sermon series is really just a chance for me to invite y'all to wade into these waters with me and see if we might experience some more depth and richness of life together as we wade into these ancient streams together. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to First, lay a foundation for the entire series. So I'm glad you're here this morning because this first part is, is pretty important. I think of it like we're standing on shore, looking out at the water that's before us. So we're about to, we're not jumping in. Y'all don't have to be afraid. We're just going to take some, take some steps in. Um, we're going to kind of survey what's, what's before us, lay a foundation, see, see what we're stepping into. Do some necessary groundwork before we dig in. And then today we're going to take sort of a baby step into these, these streams together. Is that good? So this first part, um, I need to warn you up front, not the first part, this, this whole sermon this morning is, is a little bit unique and is a little bit different than the, than the norm here. Um, it's a lot more teachy rather than preachy. Um, but it's a bunch of content that I'm so excited about, so I hope you'll be able to uh, listen and be really present with yourself and with, with me and with God. So let's dig in. Let's lay this first foundation. So for a while in my life, maybe some of y'all can relate to me, for a while I lived with this paradigm that says your thinking shapes your living, right? What happens up here in your head informs all of the rest of your life. Um, another way to say it is your belief shapes your behavior. It's a head first, a thinking first approach to life. I think therefore I am, right? Now, what I've come to discover over the past year and a half or so, probably with a lot of you, is that this, this really falls short in a lot of ways. A couple ways I'll mention first, this is a really narrow way to see the world and to go about life, okay? Because it's relatively new, like this sort of head first, thinking first, I think, therefore I am approach to life was really birthed in the enlightenment that happened in the 18th century. And it's also pretty unique to the Western part of the world. So it's, it's a pretty narrow way to view life and to go about things. But it's also falling short. We're becoming more and more aware because there are just so many cracks developing in this sort of, this sort of worldview, especially in the church, especially in the church. How many examples do we see of leaders in the church who seemingly be believe rightly, who think rightly, but they behave in ways that are harmful and destructive? Like, unfortunately, those stories 
are a dime a dozen and they're not very far from us as well, right? And if you're honest enough though, to not just look out there, but look in here, you might see that there are cracks in this way of life as well. Because have you ever experienced, maybe there's been a destructive sin pattern in your life, like something that's not leading to you flourishing and thriving and experiencing more and more life in Jesus in the world. Or maybe it's, it's simply a bad habit that you want to break. You've probably experienced, like no matter what you do in your head, no matter what thoughts you have about that thing, no matter how much you know and are aware, like that is wrong and it's not good and it's leading me away from God and I need to turn, it's really hard for that knowledge to actually affect your life and behavior. Are you with me? Do you see that in your own life as well? So you might not be surprised to hear me say, if you've been around Christ City for more than a week, that I don't think it's your head that informs all of your life. I don't think we're head first, thinking first sort of humans, creatures. I think it's actually our heart that informs all of our life. We're heart first creatures. We're worshipers. We're lovers. We feel things, and that affects all that we do. What's going on in our heart affects what's going on in our head. It affects what we do with our hands. And I'm not saying, like, don't hear me saying any this morning that what's going on in your head, your thoughts, like right theology or doctrines about God, don't hear me saying that that's not important because I think it's, it's invaluable and it's so important. But what I am saying is that maybe your heart is more important than you realize. So there are a couple of books that I've read that have informed and shaped this thinking in me, this feeling in me, um, that I recommend to you for this sermon series. And they're both available at the book table, which is out in, I don't know what to call that area. Do y'all know? Like out these doors, but before the narthex, the narthex. Okay. Well, that's where the book table is. So if you want to pick up both or one of these books, I would highly recommend them to you. The first is called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Many of you have read this book over the past few months. This is sort of like 101. It's pretty easy to read and understand. If you've never interacted with any of this stuff, like this would be a great place to start. Um, really fun to read, really engaging. And then maybe the level 301 or 3000 level course would be this book by James K.A. Smith. Uh, he's a philosopher at Calvin College up in Michigan. It's called You Are What You Love. This book was his attempt to make all of this stuff really accessible, but he's like a PhD philosopher. So there's only so far down he can go. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's still readable. Like I, I, I love this book, so grab it too. <laughs> so if it's true, um, well, let me show you some... Let me show you some Bible verses just to show you that I'm like, I'm not making this up. This is steeped in scripture, less so in our Western way of life and thinking, but it's steeped in scripture first. It's, it's Old Testament wisdom. The book of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And then Jesus, of course, who is steeped in and immersed in the Hebrew scriptures, says this in Matthew 15, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. 
He also says, familiar verse for us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not exclusive to the Old Testament or to Jesus. Paul talks about this a whole lot too. Like you're going to start seeing this on every page of your Bible as you're reading scripture. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And then in Colossians 3, he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Next, he says, set your minds on things above. But he says, first, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. So if it's true that our hearts are really important and they drive all that we do, all that we think, then it's really important to do what Jamie Smith says in his book, You Are What You Love. It's really important to curate your heart. Curate your heart. You see, your life is filled with habits and rhythms. Like you go about your day and you have all of your routines, the ways you go about life, your schedules, the things that you're used to. And everything you do is shaping your heart and pointing your heart towards something, pointing your love towards something, pointing your affection, pointing your worship towards something. Nothing you do is neutral, okay? Everything you do, every decision you make, every step you take is forming you into some sort of person and it's shaping your heart and pointing your heart towards something. Maybe it's pointing your heart towards Jesus and you're growing more and more into the human being that you're created to be, more and more into the likeness of Jesus himself, experiencing more and more richness of life and vitality. Or maybe it's like Tish says in her book, maybe your rhythms of life, your habits, your routines are malforming you forming you not more and more into the image of Jesus, but forming you more and more away from your humanity, away from life, the life that God wants for you in Jesus. Here's another way to say it. I love words. I'm a word nerd, okay? I may be the only one in the room. So let me just throw two words up on the screen. Um, your hearts are effective, Affective, meaning your hearts are feeling things. They're drawn towards things. They're worshiping always. Like you're always drawn towards something. Your hearts are pointed towards something. And everything you do is, is shaping and pointing your heart in some sort of direction. But your hearts are also affectable. And I'm not sure if that's a word or not, but you can tell me after the service. Meaning your hearts are being molded and affected by absolutely everything you do, nothing is neutral. You're being formed into the likeness of Christ or you're being malformed away from your humanity, away from Jesus. And so it's really important, if all of this is true, it's, it's really important that we do a sort of heart audit. We do a liturgy inventory. And the way I'm using the word liturgy is like all of the rhythms and habits you embody throughout your day. Those are your liturgies for life. Liturgy does include, as we're going to talk about in a minute, what we do in here on Sundays, but it's more than that. You have a liturgy through your day. You have a liturgy to your mornings. You have a liturgy to your work days and your evenings. You have a liturgy to your life. 
So it's important for us to do a liturgical inventory for you to peel back the layers and take inventory. How are all the things that I'm doing? How are all of my habits and rhythms? How are my liturgies forming me as a human? Am I being formed towards Jesus? Am I being pointed towards God or am I being malformed? And so that's what this series is an invitation to an invitation to do a liturgical inventory, a heart audit in your life. And then as we do so, you're going to see healthy liturgies, healthy rhythms that you can embrace and embody that will form you more and more into Jesus. So that's the foundation. Now let's take our first step into these waters and talk about um, the first liturgy that we as humans embody that I think informs all of the other liturgies in our life. And it's what we're doing right now. It's corporate worship. Now, I don't want to this morning make a case for um, why it's important that we come together for worship, okay? You're here this morning. So whether this is a high value in your life or not, like there's at least something there, right? Because you're here at, at 1030 on a Sunday morning. So there's at least something in you that gets like, Maybe it's somewhat important that I show up to this thing at 1030 to be part of this church worship service with all these other people. It's really clear in scripture that followers of Jesus, worshipers of Yahweh, worshipers of God, gathering together for worship is really important. Like if you open up your Bible to the Old Testament, it's hard to go a few pages without seeing these sort of like weird rituals. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like these weird rituals that God's people in the Old Testament participated in and all these instructions that God gave his people about what to do when you come to the temple or what sacrifices to make. Like there are whole books in the Old Testament that are written about these things. Like it's just assumed that God's people would gather for worship. And in fact, they embrace all these rituals and liturgies in the Old Testament that are so weird and foreign to us. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've ever, ever, have you ever read Leviticus? All right, are you with me? Um, and then in the New Testament, followers of Jesus were first century Jews, so they continued in the habits, the liturgies of regularly gathering with God's people for worship. And we see that really early on, followers of Jesus in the New Testament actually moved their day of worship. They moved their Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, which is really, really huge they did so because they believed and we believe that Jesus really did rise from the grave, rise from the dead. And it happened on Sunday morning, which is such a like, like if you struggle with, um, man, I don't know if I can buy into the resurrection or not. Like that just sounds kind of weird to me, which it is like a dead person coming back to life. That's weird. And if you have trouble buying into that, that's one really good defense. Like the earliest fathers of Jesus who were embedded in, like it was deeply embedded in their DNA to worship on Saturdays, to have their day of rest, their Sabbath on Saturdays. They shifted everything. Like they uprooted hundreds and hundreds of years of history and God's inspired word in the Old Testament, their Hebrew scriptures. They uprooted all of that to move their day of worship to Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead. We see in the passage we read this morning, like Paul saying like, hey, when you get together, encourage one another like sing songs together, let thankfulness be in your hearts together, encourage and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and songs that are given to you from the spirit. Like gathering as God's people is really normative. 
throughout the scriptures. But what I do want to make a case for in the next few minutes is um, a case for liturgically rich worship gatherings together. Liturgically rich worship gatherings together. And when I say that, what I mean is worship gatherings together that are deeply participatory. Liturgy at its root means the work of the people. When we gather together for worship, like we're in this together. This is a participatory event. You didn't show up this morning to be a consumer, just to show up like you would to a movie or to a concert. Like we're God's people gathered to participate in worship together. We sing songs together. We embody worship. We stand and we sit and we pass the peace together. We listen to God's word together. We come forward to communion. We're sent out together. This is a deeply participatory event. So have another cup of coffee and like, let's be awake for the worship service. All right. Because we're not just sitting back. Like we're part of this. We're participants. So when I say liturgically rich worship, like what goes on, what goes on inside of you? Think about it. What comes to mind or what sort of reactions do you have in you? There's probably a pretty, pretty wide spectrum here. Like if we were to poll every person in the room, some of you may be like, man, that sounds really boring. Or I have no idea what you're even talking about. You lost me 10 minutes ago. Some of you may be like, man, I showed up at the wrong church this morning. Some of you may be like, that sounds awesome. Some of you may be like, I have no idea, but for some reason I'm just taken back to um, like my distant cousin's wedding that I went to years and years ago at a Catholic church. And I had no idea what was going on. People were just kneeling and doing all this stuff. And I I didn't know what was happening. Maybe some of you grew up in a, a really high church environment. So you're like taken back to that. Maybe some of you like ran from that. And so when I talk about liturgical worship, like there's some sort of like PTSD reactions happening in you. Whatever your, um, whatever your reactions are, what I want to talk about, I just want to talk about two questions. The first question is why I think liturgically rich worship is important and why I think it's even something that whether you know it or not, like your soul, deep down in you, you're craving for it. And I also want to answer the question, what does this look like specifically at Christ City? That's why the sermon's a little bit different this morning. It's like we're like we brought the car up here and we've popped the hood open to take a look at all the things that are happening behind the scenes. We're peeling back the layers so you can see this sort of flow to our liturgical worship together that that we embody every Sunday morning. So first, why is liturgical worship important? To answer that question, I have to bring up one of my favorite stories in the entire world, the story of Harry Potter. Is anybody with me? Does anybody love Harry Potter? Um, I reread the series a couple of years ago during the winter months, and it was such a rich and good experience. I'm long, maybe I'm longing for that because I'm so hot right now. <laughs> Those winter months of reading Harry Potter. Um, I love Harry Potter, and a lot of you do as well. We've talked about it. Don't worry, there's no spoilers, if you're, but you're, you're a long way behind Like if you haven't. <laughs> read or seen Harry Potter, but no spoilers here. Uh, We're not alone in our love for Harry Potter. Harry Potter has taken the world by storm. Think about it. 
Years ago, the books came out and there was such anticipation for the next book. You know, the, like it all started with these books that told the story of Harry's years at Hogwarts. But now there are Harry Potter theme parks, which I really want to go to, but I've never been. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a new set of beautifully illustrated Harry Potter stories that are coming out. And I'm getting each one of them as they come out. I'm so excited for when the next one's gonna be released. Um, There are, of course, Harry Potter movies. There are stories and movies and books about Harry's wizarding world that don't even involve Harry himself. Do you know what I mean? Like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Did anybody see that movie? Yes, I love it. Um, Like Harry Potter has taken the world by storm and Harry Potter is a multi-billion dollar industry. Isn't that crazy? And so when I think about that, I'm like, man, what, what is it about our human experience that so attracts us to, that so draws us to this world of Harry Potter? I could be wrong, but here's something that I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe it's that there's something deep down in us that is longing for the supernatural. Like in the midst of our really like normal, natural lives where no one can like do magic with their wand or fly on broomsticks, like things are just really normal and natural. There's a longing for the supernatural to invade the natural. Like maybe there's this spot in London that I can like walk through and step into this other world, this transcendent, this supernatural world. Like it's a story that we get caught up in, that we find ourselves drawn into, that it awakes some sort of desire and longing, whether you realize it or not, like deep down in our hearts and in our souls. And I think that's what we get to experience every week when we embody, when we participate in liturgical worship. Every week we rehearse together this transcendent story, this other world story, this supernatural story. Every week we experience like the supernatural breaking into the natural, like the transcendent breaking into our world. The story like of all stories, what C.S. Lewis would call like the greatest myth that all other other myths point to, like the true myth, the true story, like the divine. Every week we get to experience that, participate in that story together. We get caught up in that story. That's what liturgical worship is. And I'm gonna show you in a minute what that story looks like for us and how, whether you realize it or not, like we're swept up in, we're caught up in that story week after week. This is why, like if we're, like think, think about the way we do church worship in like the 21st century in America. Often it's very, like you might be shocked to, to consider that it's very head first, right? It's very thinking first. Most worship services that we're probably familiar with, that we're probably used to, center around a long intellectual talk called a sermon in the middle of the service, Right? where we like expound on these heady doctrines and principles and we engage our intellect. But maybe, maybe if we're not head first creatures, but if we're heart first creatures, if we're worshipers, if we're lovers, if we're feelers, 
then maybe our worship times together need to not only engage our intellect, but they need to inspire our imagination. And that's why, like, if you look throughout the history of the world, if you look throughout the history of the church, like most church worship gatherings have been like deeply liturgical. And it wasn't until like the enlightenment started to come around and in the Western world that worship services turned like really heady. Like they're not very weird anymore. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like there's something to a worship service being a little weird because we're caught up in this transcendent, this supernatural story. There needs to be a little bit of like weirdness here. We don't exactly know what's going on here, but like we're drawn in. We don't understand why. That's, that's what liturgical worship is. It doesn't just engage our intellect. It inspires our imagination. So let's look at what this looks like for us here at Christ City. What does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? I invite you, if you have your bulletin, to open it up and I'll show you. It's actually right before your eyes every single week. <laughs> so let me show you. First, turn to the back. There's a quote that I've included in your bulletin. From, uh, from Bishop Todd Hunter, here's what he says. Every church has a liturgy, a way, a manner, a pattern, or a prescribed order for public worship. The question is not, do we have a liturgy, but is our liturgy good and useful? Does it effectively produce worshiping and serving apprentices of Jesus. So what is the story that we're caught up in every week at Christ City? What does this look like? Open up your bulletins to the inside. And you're going to see four things. The first thing is gather. You see what I'm talking about? Gather, listen, commune, sin. The first thing is gather. First, we gather together. And if you were here early enough this morning, Jamin started our worship service with a call to worship. Because the story that we're swept up in, it starts with God. Worship is about God. God is the central figure in this story. This three person, this triune God, this Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It starts with him. And the story that we're swept up in is about God calling, God speaking, And then creation and people responding. Think about how the story begins on the very first pages of scripture in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God, God was there. It all starts with God. And then what happens? God speaks and things happen. Creation responds. And then consider how the story moves forward. God speaks And his people respond. God calls Abraham and Abraham responds. God calls his Old Testament people, Israel, and his Old Testament people respond. Jesus calls his disciples and they respond. And now God calls you. God calls you. God invites you to respond. God invites you to participate, to be caught up in this story that like your hearts are aching for, your hearts are longing for more. God's calling you to be a part of it. And that's how we begin every single week with a call to worship as we gather together. And then we adore God and we praise God through Psalms, just like Paul says in Colossians chapter three, through singing songs and hymns and songs from the spirit, we gather together. And the second thing is we listen. We listen. 
God calls us. God invites us into relationship with him. And see, so we want to lean in. Like we want to respond by leaning in and listening to what he might say to us. Because we believe another value we have here at Christ City is, is we want to embrace charismatic worship. And again, that may be a word that some of you like have a reaction to. But what I mean is the Holy Spirit is real and alive. The Holy Spirit is at work. And so we want to lean in and see what God the Spirit might say to us. And the good news is that God doesn't leave us to our own devices to go about life in the world. Like God has spoken to us in his word. Think about how kind and gracious and good that is. God's given us stories in human languages about people and things that we can understand and we can relate to and we can find ourselves caught up in. And so we want to lean in and listen to what God might say as we read scripture together and expound and bend our knee to scripture together. And then the climax of our worship service, because this isn't just about engaging your intellect. This is about inspiring your imagination. This is about us coming together as participants in worship. The climax of our service every week is when we commune together. When together we come to the table and at the table in this mysterious way, we say this all the time in this mysterious way that we can't understand that human words can't, um, like we can't wrap our minds around it. We actually commune together with Jesus. Like it's not just a memorial service where we remember what Jesus did for us. Like it is that, but it's more than that too. Like there's some weird and mysterious and awesome. I mean that word in like its fullest sense, awesome way that like Jesus is present spiritually in the elements, the bread and the wine that we partake every week. We commune together with Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts to do so, we say these ancient prayers together that churches around the world and throughout time have said, one thing we say every week is, um, therefore we join our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Like consider this, worship is happening in God's heavenly throne room. I, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. And I think there's some beauty to that, like the mystery about it, right? And when we gather together and when we commune, like we're being caught up in that, like we're joining the worship that's happening in the throne room of God right now. And through these ancient prayers, like we're joining our voices with saints who have gone before us, saints all around the world. It's this beautiful and rich thing when we come together for communion. Today, we're gonna, before we come to the table, we're gonna confess our sin in response to God's word so that we can be assured that we come forward to partake as forgiven, whole, clean, loved people. And then finally, we're sent out every week. We close our worship with a benediction, which the benediction, like it's beautiful words that we say together, like it gives you a nice warm feeling inside, but it's more than that. The benediction is a blessing, a sending out, a commissioning, because we're followers of Jesus, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday too. And so with the benediction, we're speaking over one another, this blessing and this sending, like, hey, remember, we're going out into the world to be disciples, to be ambassadors for Jesus, and we're in this together. Like, I have your back, you have my back, I love you, you love me, like, let's go do this together. That's the benediction, it's this beautiful sending that we get to experience every week. So before we come to the table for communion, let me close by saying this. I think living in this story, embodying it, 
being swept up in it. Even, like, even if you don't get it all every week, even if you show up here and you're kind of dazed and tired because there were storms yesterday and your power went out and you didn't have air conditioning and it spiked to 94 degrees in your home, like even if you come in, like you're swept up in the story week after week after week. And I think it's in that ordinariness, in that regular rhythm of coming together with God's people to worship him, I think that's where you're going to experience life and transformation. Inspiration happens in a second. Transformation takes a long, long time. There are all these metaphors in scripture of seeds and plants and trees. And if you think about a tree, it takes a long, long, long time for a tree to grow into its fullness of stature, right? It takes a long time of being planted in the right soil and being nourished with the right nutrients, water and fertilizer. So I think for us, the soil in which we'll grow is, is this, coming together regularly as God's people to encounter him, to be swept up in this story. And I think the nutrients that we get to partake of is this, the body and blood of Jesus, the bread and the wine. And it's in committing to this liturgy, this rhythm as a human being, that I think you will start to experience transformation over years and years and years, weeks and weeks and months and months and years. So with all that said, let me pray for us. And then we'll go into a time of, of communion. And I'll say this too, during this time of communion, like I, I really do think the, the spiritual climate, uh, climate, the spiritual climate in this atmosphere is like spiked, is peaked during this time of communion. So that's why it's during this time that, that we have leaders from our church eager to pray with you like God, the Holy Spirit is wanting to meet with you and to work in your life, whatever you have going on. And so you can come forward for communion, but you can also come forward. There will be leaders in front of these outside aisles who would love to pray for you, to pray with you. So if you want to meet with the Holy Spirit through one another in that way, I invite you to come for prayer as well. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the beauty of this story. And it's such a good gift that you invite us to participate in it, that we do have this longing, this ache deep down in our souls. And you meet us, you, you allow us to be swept up in this story. So I pray that we wouldn't miss it as we say these ancient prayers together, as we come forward, would you meet with us? Like I prayed before the sermon, would we be attentive to and aware of your presence, Holy Spirit, among us in our midst? In Christ's name we pray, amen.